Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. Like a lot of you, I've been listening to Christmas music, now with streaming services and that sort of stuff, uh, and Bluetooth. You don't really have to listen to what's on the radio, but uh, I decided to switch over. I was listening to Christmas music, and this week, uh, Rudolph came on uh, my playlist there. I heard Rudolph, and, and it was strange. For the first time, I think, for the first time, I actually actively listened to the song instead of just like passively. You know the song. Everybody knows Rudolph. And uh, so I'm listening to the song and I, I start to feel bad for Rudolph. Uh, anybody else just kind of listen to the lyrics and you're like, Rudolph is surrounded by mean people, right? I mean, like, like these, these people are bullying him essentially because he's different, because his nose glows. Uh, and, um, and then when he does something to help them out, then all of a sudden they, you know, shout out with glee. Those are not good friends, by the way. That's just, those are just not good friends. You should make new reindeer friends if that's your situation. And even if you do not overthink the Rudolph song, which I would encourage you not to overthink uh, Christmas songs like I do because it just spins, uh, it sends you spiraling. But even if you do not, you can, you can see that this is a strange situation and you can relate to it. It's pretty relatable, right? Have you ever been, and I'm sure you have, have you ever been in a situation or a circumstance in which it's really hard? Like things are not going well, things are not going good, they're outside of your control, they, they feel bad, there's pressure, there's angst, there's pain, and everyone in your life has abandoned you. Everyone feels as though they have isolated you, pushed you out. They're not talking to you anymore. Those who are your friends don't appear to be friendly in those circumstances. That's what Rudolph is going through, pure isolation. In fact, when you hear it, he says, the, the song says, poor Rudolph. Well, he's not poor because of financial means. He's poor because of relational means. And again, as odd as it is to relate to a make-believe reindeer with a glowing nose, I think we can. I, I think we can. I certainly can as well. Human-to-human interpersonal relationships is not the point of Ezekiel chapter 11, but it clearly is uh, the back drop. It is the setting. And how God speaks into that human-to-human tension tells us a lot and gives us a lot of information in understanding God and his perspective on this situation that we regularly find ourselves in. So I'm going to pray, and when I'm done praying, we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel chapter 11 is where we're going to be. So pray with me. God, thank you for your words. Thank you for your encouragement to me personally and to our church family. God, I pray as many of us come into the room feeling isolated and abandoned, rejected, going through hardships and struggles, and at the same time, salt in the wound, feeling as though we are um, discarded by our friends, by those who purport to be our friends. God, I pray that this message would be uplifting, encouraging to them that they would hear your words and walk away knowing that you are our refuge, that you restore us, that you remake us. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 11. If you turn there, I'm going to read verse 14 down to 21. It's not that long of a text, but it feels like a long text as I'm reading it. So follow along with the text that you have there in front of you and uh, try to pick out some of these themes that we're talking about here with rejection and isolation. This is what Ezekiel 11 verse 14 and on says. 
And the word of the Lord came to me again, son of man, your own relatives, those who have the right to redeem your property, along with the entire house of Israel, all of them are those to whom the residents of Jerusalem have said, you are far from the Lord. This land has been given to us as a possession. Verse 16, therefore say, this is what the Lord God says. Though I sent them far away among the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, this is what the Lord God says. I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Look at verse 18. And when they arrive, they will remove all its abhorrent acts and detestable practices from it, I will give them integrity of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh so that they will follow my statutes, keep my ordinance, and practice them. They will be my people and I will be their God. Last verse, 21. But as for those whose hearts pursue their desire for abhorrent acts and detestable practices, I will bring their conduct down on their own heads. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Now, to paint a picture and really kind of focus in on this emotional setting or the context in which Ezekiel is speaking in this moment, I want to uh, remind you or point out that thus far in Ezekiel, in the book from chapter 4 all the way to verse or, or chapter 11, God is repeatedly letting them know that they have messed up and they're going to suffer the consequences of that messing up. That they rebelled against God and they are now put into exile. But apparently something else is going on. There's this whole other message that is flowing into this storyline. It's very clear there in verse 14 and verse 15 that Ezekiel, his immediate family, his extended family, that's the ones who have the right to redeem your land, that sort of stuff, and his nation have been exiled. As I told you last week, not all of the nation was exiled. They would, uh, uh, the Babylonians would go in and take the brightest and the smartest and the best looking, those sort of people. And they would take them out of the nation that they conquer and bring them back to Babylon and leave the rest there. And so this departure from the land has Ezekiel and others feeling as though God has rejected them, that God has pushed them aside. And to make matters worse, what they are hearing is back in Jerusalem, all the people that were left are now gobbling up their land. They're taking their ranches and their farms and, and their homes and their houses. They're taking all of that as their own possession from those who cannot protect this. To oversimplify what is being said in this text, Ezekiel is going through an impossibly difficult situation and his people have left him uh, or let him know that you can just die out there. That's the word that he's getting back from home. You have no home to come back to. And by the way, God obviously hates you. I mean, think about that for a second. Just sit in that space for just a second. This is, this is what Ezekiel is feeling. This is what he's hearing. That you're going through an impossible situation and those who are supposed to be in support of you, they have just rejected you, have left you out on your own. It wouldn't be hard to put yourself in that place, right? We've all been there. Maybe it's not a life-shattering or altering situation like being captured by enemy forces and taken to a far-off land, but we've all experienced the loss of a job or the loss of a child, a, a, a miscarriage or a misunderstanding. Just the threat of those things is strong enough 
to bring us to our knees. Who hasn't faced an unexpected expense before, right? Like your car breaks down or, or something happens at your home and you are ate up with the tension of trying to figure out how you're going to pay for that. I mean, it just dominates everything about your life or medically. Like maybe your spouse has a test that they need ran and, and you're nervous about the results or maybe it's your child or maybe it's you. There's all these circumstances in which they hit you and they are immediately bigger than you can possibly handle. Life seems to drag on slowly, hour by hour, day by day, as these unforgiving circumstances drag you slowly through pain and uncertainty and fear. And then imagine, and I know some of you don't even have to imagine this, but imagine that you are going through those circumstances and those who are purported to be your friends, those who claim to be your friends, have now rejected you, have pushed you off to the side. They no longer call. They don't invite you to dinner anymore. They don't just go neutral. They go nuclear. They start trashing you and talking and, and the rumor mill starts to fly. All of a sudden, they knew that the decisions that you were making were going to end poorly, even though back when you were making the decisions, they didn't say anything. They've just completely pushed you off to the side. You get the idea that they feel that your misfortune would somehow rub off on them, that it is no longer politically or socially expedient for them to be seen with you. That's just salt in the wound, and that's where this text starts. That's what's going on in 14 and 15. I know you're going through something hard, but you can just die out there. You don't have a home to come back to. This is the message that not only Ezekiel, but his entire family is feeling. This upside down world that he is now trying to walk through. And he has to feel some measure, clearly, some measure of just hopelessness. And for those reasons, I'm interested in what God says when he steps into that space. When he steps into this feeling that we all feel. He steps in and he makes a few promises that my hope is, as we leave here today, they're going to echo in our minds and our hearts. Um, for those of us who are in the middle of it, and for those of us who will go through it. Look at verse 16. This is what God says. He says this back to the folks in Jerusalem, right? The ones that are taking the land, the ones that are sending the bad messages. He says, therefore say, this is what the Lord God says. Though I sent them far away among the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while, listen to this part right here. This is important. I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. It's really strange that God uses that language for himself. He's going to define himself as a sanctuary. In fact, if we were proofreading this, we would mark this and say, God, I don't, I think you said, you didn't mean to say what you said there, but that's exactly what he means to say. The way that he uses it is important. I cannot overemphasize to you guys the, uh, the impact, the weight that the ancient Jews put on not only the land, but on the temple building itself. They saw the land, the, and I'm talking about the, the actual borders, the, the dirt, the, the trees and the rivers and the mountains. They saw that as the fulfillment, the embodiment of God's promise. When he said, I'm going to give you a land. And so they saw this land as sacred, as set apart, as unique and holy land. In fact, that's why we call it the holy 
land. They also saw the temple building, the the structure, the, the gleaming white structure set up high on that mountain there in the city of David as a testimony, as a beacon to the entire world that this place, this city, this country, these people are God's chosen. And so the insult, the hurt, the pain that comes is toward those who are no longer in the land, towards those who are outside of the temple, to those who cannot come to the holy mountain, that they are away from God, that they are far from God. And God blows that up. He, he, he goes right at it. He rebuffs this whole thing. And he says, listen, here's what I want to make very clear to you. The temple by itself is not special. That mountain intrinsically is not unique. It's just a giant rock. This land is just dirt and you people are just people, but I have chosen. See, it's about God's choice, not the location. We'll say this sometimes. We use a similar phrase. Have you ever heard anybody refer to any part of the nation or any part of the world as God's country? Y'all ever heard that? I hear people talk about like... um, uh, the, the Buffalo National River. That's God's country, right? Or, or the entire state of Texas. That's God's country or something like that. You know, people say those sort of things. And what they're inferring or what they're trying to say is that this is God's special place. If, if God was going to live on earth, then he couldn't live in Israel. Apparently that's what, the one he wants. But if he couldn't live in Israel, then he would live here or there or in this setting or that setting. That this by itself is beautiful enough that it would make even God want it. And now God is saying in this very strange way, I have been their sanctuary. Not a building, not the temple, not the tabernacle, not the cathedral, but I, the individual, God, God is their sanctuary. Have you ever, have you ever uh, read the book or watched the movie, The, the Hunchback of Notre Dame? Ever seen that? Shake your head if, you, if you've seen that. Okay. Uh, you've seen it, read it. It is a book, all right, um, for, for some of us. There is a book there. And uh, how do y'all say, do y'all say Notre, Notre Dame or Notre Dame or how do y'all say it? Notre Dame? If you're fancy, say Notre Dame, you know. If you're, and, uh, you know, if you're Brian Kelly, you say Notre Dame, shoot fire, y'all, you know, something like that. And so um, all of a sudden out of nowhere. But there is this concept in the book, this, this underlying concept in the book called Sanctuary. It's called sanctuary. Uh, the hunchback ends up saving the, the damsel by rescuing her and taking her into the cathedral, into, the, 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 into Notre Dame, taking her into the cathedral and claiming, y'all remember? Remember what he yelled, what he says? He says, sanctuary. Because the idea or the concept behind that is if you could get within the grounds of the, of the, of the cathedral, if you could get within the, the building, the church building, we would call it, then you were um, immune or you were safe from civil authority. So if you were in trouble with the law, if you could get to the church, then you would be safe in, so, inside that building. That building would protect you. Just being there would protect you. And that is the exact opposite of what God is saying here. He says it's not a building. It's not a land. It's not a city. It is me. I am their sanctuary. I am the sanctuary for the folks who are in the defiled land, the enemy's land. I am with them. It's an incredibly encouraging statement and convicting as well. 
Because you've got to remember, even in our modern society, sometimes we are tempted to put the presence and the blessing of God in some building or in some location. And God is very clearly saying, you're missing the point. It was never about that building or that location or this reality. It is about God himself. And so he says this to them. Recognize that when he's talking to them, he says, therefore, say this to those back in Jerusalem, those who are lobbing the threats. And then he turns his attention toward those who are lonely and confused. And so uh, if you should find yourself in one of those positions, then listen clearly to what God is about to say. In verse 17, he says, therefore, say this. This is what the Lord God says. I will gather you. I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered and I will give you the land of Israel. This sounds like a good idea, right? He will gather you together, bring you all back together. And, and this sounds good to us because in our mind there's safety in numbers. Right? If you feel attacked, if, if somebody's going after you, if this little group is gossiping and talking about you, those sort of things, then it, then it feels like the temptation is to build your own army, you know, and, and protect yourself or to at least go on the offensive and, and, and to destroy that side. But what we have to remember is what we already just covered is that the safety is not in the numbers. The safety is in God. So then why and what is the blessing of having one another? It's not for safety purposes. It's for encouragement. For encouragement, God says, I'm going to bring you all back together so you can encourage one another. So you can lift one another up so that you can build into one another. It's not that we're going to attack anybody because God's got that taken care of. In Exodus, he says, oh, the Bible says that God will fight for you. You need only to be quiet. And that, that's, such a, that's a good memory verse, right? Um, there's one translation that says, shut up. God will fight for you. You need to shut up. That, and, I, and I prefer that translation. We are encouraged by others. We are brought together. Let me tell you something else. Isolation is a tale-tale. Isolation is a sure sign that something is going wrong. Whenever I see somebody pull away from the church, they start to pull away. They're no longer going their small group. They're no longer serving. They're no longer invested. Then it is a sure sign that they are either in something that they should not be or they're about to be in something that will get them in a lot of trouble. Same thing happens in marriages. You try to walk through your marriage all by yourself and not with one another. That's a sure sign that that marriage is going to suffer and it may not make it. I see it in small groups as well. When five, six, uh, seven people will all, uh, uh, you know, go off by themselves. They'll gather, they'll turn inward. Christian groups are always focused outward. They're always accepting of others. They're always inviting in, but they turn inward. They become their own authority and they're not listening to anybody else. It's a sure sign that something bad is going to happen. I looked it up, uh, a calf, a baby cow, you know? Have y'all ever been around baby cows? They're awesome. They're probably my favorite animals, all right? And a baby cow, two to three months old cow, guess how, how much they weigh? Guess what? 200 pounds, all right? Two to three month old is 200 pounds. And so you would think to yourself that a, a 200 pound animal can protect themselves. I mean, that's the, that's the weight of an average full grown human man, but a coyote weighs 50 pounds. And so just on paper, you would think that the 200 pound can take the 50 pound, right? Just on paper. But we all know that that's not the case. We all know that if the calf gets off by itself, it's dead. Regardless of the fact that it's four times larger than the coyote, it's dead. 
If it stays with its herd, it's going to be pretty good. If it stays with the rancher, it's safe. See what I'm saying? I'm sure you do. So the people were an encouragement to one another and the land was a home. So God is promising them a people and a home. Both of them seem to drive us in so many ways. We're wired. We are wired to want both the people and a home. We all want to step into a group of people and feel like we are home. Isn't that weird? We even say that. We say that people are our home. And those words don't exactly mean uh, literally what we're saying, but we all understand the concept that a people can be your home. It's like when you move to a new community, if that's ever happened to you. You know, you move to a new community and you, you try and you invest and you, you do the things, you know, and you say the, say the words, you wear the, you wear the colors, you do that sort of stuff. And no matter how hard you try, you feel isolated and pushed out that there's a group of people that will never accept you simply because you're not one of us. You didn't graduate here. You're not from here. You're an outsider. And that feeling, that sting, that reality, and the way that they treat outsiders, that sort of stuff, is just a testimony to the way that we are wired, that we have this deep intrinsic value on the idea of home and of people, of having your own people. So I call this part of the, the sermon the restoration. The restoration, because uh, it starts with R. So that's the first thing. And I'm not one of those Baptist preachers that starts all of my points with the same letter, but today I did, right? And so this is what's going on so far, that, that God says to the rejected, rejected, that I will be your refuge, right? Sanctuary to the rejected. I will be your refuge and I will restore you. I will bring you back with a people and with a land. And I love that because it starts with R, but I also love that because it reminds us of the original plan. You know, this is the way that we were created. This is the way that you were made. You think about the garden and Adam and Eve, they have a home and they have a people. You think about Jesus and the church, you have a home and you have a people. God will restore you back to the way that you were created to be. So he is our refuge. He restores us and he what? He remakes us. Look at verse 19. I will give them integrity of heart and I will put a new spirit within them. A new one, not the same old one. I will remove their heart of stone, the broken, diseased, the bad one, from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh. To Ezekiel, the, the heart and the spirit, the, the, uh, the head, these were the moral decision-making centers of the person. And God is saying that I'm going to rip out the diseased one, rip out the one made of stone, the one that is broken, the one that ends up getting you in trouble. I'm going to rip that out and I'm going to put in one of flesh, a new one, one that works, all right? It's a, it's a transplant. And so that we don't miss this, catch this and, and keep this part in your mind. They are in exile because they themselves messed up. They are in exile because they rebelled against God. It was their own stony hearts, their own hard hearts and hard heads that got them far from God in the first place. But this is important for us to know that there are some times, it's like um, this, this show that I watched one time, um, the mama was saying to the adult daughter that sometimes your self-loathing is just good common sense because sometimes you suffer the consequences of your own dumb, all right? 
right? And that's a thing that we need to remember. When God is talking to them, he's encouraging them. He's letting them know, but he's not making them forget that you are in trouble. You did wrong. But listen to me, and this is important. Just because God is disciplining you does not mean he has discarded you. In fact, the discipline is proof that he loves you. That he loves you. Just because he sent them in exile, what God is saying here is it's just a little while and I will, I will bring you back. I will restore you. I will remake you because your hard heart got you in this trouble in the first place. So I'm going to give you a new heart. One that works. And then notice at the end of verse 21, I don't have it on the slide, but notice in verse 21, he says, for those who, despite God's instruction, his grace and his warning, those who refuse to change, God will bring the consequences of their own conduct down on their own hard head. And you remember last week, they were in trouble. Why? Because they had a hard heart and a hard head. So God is offering grace. He's offering good, but eventually time will run out and his grace will end. So if I can oversimplify this message again, I I oversimplified at the beginning. Let me do it just again. To those who were back in Jerusalem, ridiculing those who were going through devastation, God says to shut it. I am their refuge. To the isolated and devastated, God says, I will restore you and I will remake you. To the hurting and the alone, God says, I am your refuge. I will restore you. I will remake you. And I want you to always see the greater picture. I want you to see what we call the grand narrative, that beacon of hope for those of you who are feeling like you are just drifting all by yourself. That life is raining down on you and you're just all by yourself in that little boat. God hears you and God is speaking to you. And you know it's God speaking because the message that he is telling you right now is the same message that he delivered to the Jews through Ezekiel. You are not alone. He will be your sanctuary. God is telling you, I will be your sanctuary. He has a people for you and a home. He will remake you and fix all of the broken. That's what God is offering to you. That's what God is offering you today. You need only to trust him. So do you trust him? Turn back to him. No matter how far you have drifted from Jesus, he is as close as turning back. That's as close as he is. So right there, right now, the question hangs in the air. Do you trust Jesus? Here's the question I have for you. Where is your sanctuary? Where do you find rest and safety? If it's anything other than God himself, you have settled for a weaker place. For one, it will be easily taken from you. And for two, it will not hold up. Whether it's relationships, status, power, comfort, prestige, even tradition and preference. These are all related to the idols in your life and they cannot protect you. They do not speak and they will not protect you. I am not asking, notice this, I'm not asking you who are your people or where is your home? Because I think both of those questions are answered by answering this question. Where is your sanctuary? Who is your sanctuary? To who do you turn? One way to figure that out is this. Answer this question if you can. What if, what in your life, if it were threatened, 
or taken from you would shake you to your core. What in your life, if it were threatened, would shake you to your core? That is your sanctuary. When it is Jesus, all the other things can change. They can alter and they can shift, but it will not destroy you. Discomfort? Yeah. Pain? Even just utter torment. True, but ultimately strong in God. On Friday, we were at the Carl Stewart Middle School Christmas uh, concert, which is so fun. It's so fun, a Christmas concert, right? And the, the children and the choir director, they do so well. We were at the high school auditorium, and from my perspective, where I was sitting, the place was packed. It felt packed. We got in there a little early, and the doors were locked. They were waiting for the right moment, and, and the doors opened. It was like a Black Friday sale. People were running down to the front because they wanted to get that perfect angle. You want to sit right where you can see your kid. And so everybody got in there, and everybody packed in, and, and, and they did just a, a really great job, right? I really did enjoy it. They did all of the classics you would expect, like Carol of the Bells, um, like my wife says, you cannot have a middle school Christmas concert without Carol of the Bells. Also, Silent Night and um, All I Want for Christmas is You, which is slightly uncomfortable when fifth graders are singing that, but at the same time, that's what, that's what they sang. And they did good at it. And everything was going as you would expect until everyone's phones started to alert us. You could hear it waving through the crowd there. There were these alerts, that noise that it makes, you know. Everybody's phone makes the same noise. And the first was just a thunderstorm warning that we were in threat of a thunderstorm, which was not news because we had heard the thunder. We, we knew that there was the potential of severe uh, weather. So that wasn't such a big deal. There was just this threat of a thunderstorm. But then a few minutes later, the second wave of these alerts started going through, and you could hear them in the quiet parts of the song or right after the song. You could hear everybody's phones going off and this rah, rah noise, you know, and even the sound of it starts to, to bring anxiety in your heart, and this one was different. It's not a thunderstorm warning. It's a tornado warning, meaning that it's not saying that conditions are right. It's saying that there is one confirmed on the ground somewhere. That's, that's what uh, my phone told me, right, you know? And that's what happened. You could look around and all of a sudden nobody was watching this concert and everybody's looking at little radars there as we try to figure this out. The principal stood up, did its best to calm everybody and let us know that there's no threat to us. That's in South Faulkner County, which in my opinion is relatively close, all right? Um, I mean, I know that it's a half a county away, but I feel like that is close and he did great. And there was one more song and the kids sang the song and, and it was a good job. They did all of that. And then right when it ended, um, everybody stood up and the, the aisleways got filled with people and there was pictures and there were people grabbing their kids, all that sort of stuff. And at that moment, I realized that a police officer is making his way down to the front of the stage. He's like, excuse me, excuse me. He's, no, he's running like, you know, they do in movies and stuff. And he gets all the way up to the front and he's trying to get a hold of the principal's attention. And he's trying to let the principal know that the sirens have gone off. And so everybody needs to stay in the building. All right, that's, that's what he let us know. And he is a law enforcement officer. And then the principal, who is a, a, is a is, you know, he's a civil leader, stood up and told everybody to stay in the building. And not one soul listened to either of those people, right? Because nobody's thinking, this is where I want to die, right? Yeah, everybody's like, I'll risk it. I'm going out. And so 
And, and, and I was one of those as well. So I found Haddon, who was singing. You know, he was in the choir. And Jackie and the boys went out. Um, they all were already in the truck. And I found him. And here's the, here's the irony of it. Um, I had this question running through my mind as I'm trying to weave my way up to get my oldest son. And as soon as I grabbed him, as soon as I got him, he looks at me and he asks the same question I was already asking myself in my mind. And then the two of us went outside and uh, we went to the truck and we got in the truck and Jackie turns to me and she asked the exact same question that Haddon just asked me that I was already thinking in my mind. She looks at me and she says, we go to the house or are we going to the church? That's what she said. Are we going to the house or are we going to the church? She was driving. It was her car. Because for those of you who've been around this church um, for any amount of time know that that little building over here is a bunker, all right? It's straight concrete. The roof, the walls, the floor, all of it. It's thick concrete, all right? And so she was saying, do we want to get to there or do we want to go home? As soon as we hit Prince and as we were out on the street, the sirens went off, it wasn't raining, and the warning expired. There was no longer a threat. But it does bring up the illustration of what this text is really showing us is this question, where do you feel safe? Where do you feel safe? We have these two options. One of them is our home, which we feel safe in. It's our home, right? That's where we feel safe. And the other one was made to weather storms. No matter what, that one would stand. And so it brings up that same question. And I want you to, as you think about what you're going through right now, and as you think about what you might go through in the future, think about it not in terms of an unseasonably warm December thunderstorm, but in terms of whatever might come at you when you feel isolated and when you feel alone. Where do you feel safe? There's all kinds of places you feel comfortable in, but there's only one that was made to weather the storm. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.